0: One week season. What is going on? One week season, fam. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the week 16 edition of the OWS Angles podcast. As always, I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. Throw this baby on 1.5x speed and let's get started. It's another weird week for us. It's a weird week for a couple of reasons. One, another week with a lot of COVID news, another week with, well, let's talk about that for a moment. So I saw Evan Silva mention in his matchups column this week that this is basically, he said something along, along the lines that this is the most late week news we'll ever have last week, this week. And that's true because we've not had something before like COVID. We're in a stretch of COVID spread where people are catching it left and right. And so we've had uh, basically almost... Over fifteen percent of the NFL has been put on the COVID list across the last two weeks, and it's not like all seventeen hundred NFL players are hanging out in one room together, right? So this is just nationwide the way that this is is spreading at the moment. We're just players are getting put on the COVID list left and right, and then on top of that, the NFL is a bottom line business that has to posture as if they're concerned about the health elements here, but really what they're concerned about is getting games played and making the money that they want to make. So the NFL has shifted their management of COVID at this point to make it easier for players to get back onto the field, which is basically putting us in a position where lots of players are getting put on the COVID list, players are coming off of it more quickly, news is developing rapidly, and we're heading into Saturday, Sunday with a lot less information than than we would typically have at this point in a week. On top of that, this is coming with news coming late in the week. So in the past few years, if you started playing DFS in 2014, 2015, probably even 2016, a lot of times if a starting running back, for example, got injured, his backup, well, back then the minimum price for running back was still 3K and his backup might be priced at 3,200, 3,500, 3,800, 4K, whatever it might be. Over the last few years, DraftKings has done a really good job pricing up backup running backs. So the minimum price at running back is now 4 k And if a running back would step into a big role you know, if his starting running back got injured, a player like Alexander Madison, uh, his typical price is already up higher than it would have been in the past, because if Dalvin Cook gets injured and there's late news, they don't want Alexander Madison sitting there at 4500 like a typical backup. And then on top of that, if news comes out before pricing is set, DraftKings pretty aggressively prices up these backups so that you have a difficult decision to make. Well, with all of this news coming out after pricing gets set, we are ending up with lots of underpriced players. So if somebody gets put on the COVID list on Tuesday or Wednesday, pricing's already been set and the backup is priced much lower than they would otherwise have been. So think about Justin Jackson, for example. If if Austin Eckler had gotten injured on Sunday, then Justin Jackson's price would be much higher than it is. But with Austin Eckler getting added to the COVID list midweek, Justin Jackson is priced down near stone minimum. So there's just a lot of unique elements in play right now. And a lot of adjusting before the field adjusts and thinking through these things critically and intelligently so that we are in better position than the field. Again, what happens in the small sample size of one slate? Well, it might not be what would give us the most profit that single week. But if we can think through what would be most profitable on this slate, if we could play it out 100 times, then we can end up in much better shape than the field because the field Is reactive, And if we can be proactive and think through this slate intelligently and critically, which is, again, mostly what OWS is focused on. I thought it was very interesting this week to sort of note. It was in the Eagles Giants write up where if we were a typical DFS site that just looks at matchups, then we would look at this Eagles offense and, and be like, oh, this is a great spot for the Eagles offense. But because we talk so much about coaching and game environment, we're able to spot certain things critically and intelligently that allow us to say, okay, this is not as good of a spot as the field thinks. It's another, like I've said before, just piling up lots of little edges that add to profit over time. And so similarly in this type of week, a site like OWS, where we've collected the content providers that we've collected, but also collected the community we've collected, where you guys are interested in this side of things, we're able to think through, okay, How do we attack a week like this? What does give us our biggest edge on a week like this, where this is all new to everybody else and they'll kind of spend a couple of weeks sorting through all of this and then start figuring out, okay, here's how we should have been attacking those weeks. Whereas we can look at this and say, okay, well, we're in this week. So what is the most profitable way to attack this week? So uh, a lot of that is obviously covered in the player grid and the Oracle uh, throughout the scroll as a whole in the NFL edge. And uh, you know, I'll hit on a couple other things as we move through the rest of this podcast. But just things to keep in mind as you're moving through this week is what sets us up for the most profit over time in this sort of unique setup. So in addition to that, it is Christmas week. Christmas Day is on Saturday, and most of us build our rosters on Saturday night or Sunday morning. So another note I want to put in here. one, If you play this week, make sure you actually play this week. So I noted in the Oracle that there will be a lot of our competition will have less focus this week than they would typically have. They'll spend less time than they would typically spend and put together a shoddier set of rosters than they might typically build. But our toughest competition our sharpest competition that people were ultimately competing against for first place over time, comp- competing for first place against over time, they're still going to be going through their typical process and building their typical sharp builds. So it's important that you don't put yourself at a disadvantage against those people, it's important that if you play this week, you actually dedicate that full amount of focus and play. Another thing that I'll put out here, now some of you might be single guys in your 20s who don't live in the same city as your family, and you're not traveling home for Christmas, and Christmas Day is kind of just another day for you this year, and you're able to kind of buckle down on Saturday and and do stuff throughout the day. But if that's not the case for you, if you're going to be with your family, or if you have a wife and kids, or if you're one of the few females who plays DFS, and you have a husband and kids, and you have Christmas Day on Saturday... My very strong recommendation would be enjoy Christmas Day. And that's sort of life advice, but it's also DFS advice because if you're splitting your focus, if you're kind of spending the day with your phone on your lap and kind of thinking through games and and flipping through potential roster constructions, you're basically going to be draining your creative roster construction energy throughout the day you are going to later regret that that was how you spent this day that should be a day for making memories with your family. And you will have been draining your energy so that by the time you're actually getting to roster construction, you've kind of bled out 25 or 30 or 40% of your energy. And now you're buckling down to build, but you've kind of got your thoughts ill sorted and you're in poor position to actually play DFS well. So instead, what I would recommend is take the day, to not think about DFS and then use the nighttime or use Sunday morning to sort of get in there and go through your typical roster construction process with full dedicated focus. What that will allow to happen is for you to have sort of this isolated burst of energy where you weren't sort of bleeding that out throughout the day on Saturday, and you instead settle in for your roster construction Saturday night or Sunday morning and are able to hit it hard, hit it well, and put together something that's just as sharp as what you would normally be putting together. Okay, so we're going to talk about the state of the slate, and we're going to then go through the bottom up build. Before we get to that, a couple admin notes. One, I mentioned last week, that sort of the, the thing that we've been alluding to for Inner Circle members about how many memberships were left is an OWS for Life membership that we're selling Again, week 18, week 18 Angles email, we're going to open this up to all OWS members. If you are in Inner Circle, we started out with 200 of these memberships available. We're down to 98 Remaining. Pretty cool to see these flying off the shelf like this. As I mentioned in the Tuesday Inner Circle Pod, if the demand keeps up like this, we'll probably add one more wave before the end of the playoffs. Assuming that these 98 sell out before the end of the playoffs, we'll probably add one more wave at like a slight price bump. But right now, you've got basically uh, about, I don't know what that is, 10, 11 days until this becomes available to all OWS members. So uh, I would imagine that over the next 10, 11 days, another 15 to 25 to 30 of these will get sold. So again, uh, 98 of these remaining. If you're wanting to scoop this up, this is probably a good time to do so. You can find that. If you're in Inner Circle, you'll see a link to it in the Oracle. You'll also see a link to it in the Player Grid right above my sort of condensed stuff at the bottom of the player grid. So um, another admin note, same as last week, I will have an update to the player grid on Sunday morning. You can find that at the bottom of the player grid Sunday morning, shortly before the inactives email goes out. And then last admin note, we were going to do the missions drawings this week, But I was traveling this week and then in and out of internet access, and it's kind of a crazy week for everybody. So we are doing the missions drawings next Tuesday. And next Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will announce the winners live in a Discord stage channel. Uh, And then we will also announce them in the Angles email the next morning. And reach out to each of you individually if you want. So uh, if you want, next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, feel free to hop on Discord and be there when we announce the winners of this year's missions drawings. Okay, State of the Slate. A couple interesting things. One interesting thing. A lot of value on this slate. The... It's a unique thing this deep into the season. I mentioned this in the Oracle, but if you go back through past seasons, I don't know if you keep notes or track your rosters or anything like that, and you go back through past seasons and some of the players who you rostered or even some of the players who were chalk in like week 14, 15, 16, a lot of them are players you didn't know existed a month or two before that and that you don't remember existed at this point. You'll go back and find names and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot I played this guy week 15 last year. Who was this guy? Who did he play for? Why was he chalk? What was going on that we were thinking about this player? Because this deep into the season, pricing gets pretty tight. And in order to fit the kind of Cooper Cups, the guys who can go for 35 to 40 points, you've got to get really creative in some of the players you are willing to take on in other spots on your roster. Well, this week, this point in this season, it's very different. There's a lot of very clear, obvious, strong value. So that's something to keep in mind on this slate. The other thing to keep in mind, lots of question marks, lots of COVID news that could still shake out, lots, lots of injuries that we're still not fully clear on yet at this point, recording this on Friday afternoon, and that we probably won't be fully clear on until Saturday night, Sunday morning even. With regards to that, a couple things I would recommend. One, be willing to be critical of the value. So I walk through some of this in the player grid with four of the running backs who most people might expect to be light blue chips or even blue chips, and they're all four in the bonus section. That's Justin Jackson, that's Ronald Jones, that's James Robinson, that's David Montgomery. And it's not that these guys are likely to fail. They're on the player grid. They're all players I like. They're four of the six running backs that I have isolated for my roster this week. But people, as we've talked about a lot this season, people tend to think too much about who they are fading and not enough about who they're playing. You only get eight roster spots outside of defense special teams. So you're not going to be able to play everybody. And if your mindset is always, Who am I fading? Well, then this is a fear-based thing where it's like, okay, well, I can't miss out on this guy. I can't fade this guy because if he hits, everybody's on him. I can't fade this guy because if he hits, everybody's on him and I fall behind the field. Instead of saying, there are lots of different paths to 200 plus points. There are different paths to a first place finish. Instead of who am I fading, who am I playing? So one of the things that I recommended this week in the player grid is build some rosters without any of those four running backs. Just practice rosters. Rosters that you're still putting in the same amount of time and effort and attention to detail as if you're going to put these rosters in play, but without the pressure of assuming you're putting these rosters in play. And what this will do is it will sort of similar to what we talked about over the last, I don't know, week or two about the value of building a bottom-up build with a 44K salary cap. One of the values is and just forces you to look at things differently. Same thing you can build with a 55K salary cap. It forces you to look at things differently. Well, build this week some rosters that don't have any of these four running backs. Force yourself to look at things differently because most of the field will be thinking first and foremost about which of these running backs do I want to play? Which ones do I want to fade? Instead, recognize that there are paths to all four of these guys disappointing, maybe not relative to price-based expectations, but relative to actually getting you to first place. So let's say that DeAndre Swift, who's one of the guys who's highlighted this week in the player grid, let's say that DeAndre Swift has one of his 28-point games. And let's say that Alexander Madison has one of his 25 to 30-point games. And let's say that James Robinson gets his typical 18-pointer, and David Montgomery gets his typical 15, 16-pointer, and Justin Jackson doesn't end up scoring any touchdowns, and Kelly gets a little bit more work than people are expecting, and Jackson ends up getting... 13, 14 points. Ronald Jones doesn't get any pass game work because Keyshawn Vaughn ends up getting most of that. And Ronald Jones gets 80 rushing yards and no touchdowns and only two catches for nine yards. And he gets you about 11, 12 points. Well, all of a sudden, the people who got these 25 to 30 pointers... Now, again, I'm not saying any of that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's a lot more plausible than the field is going to give it credit for. And so if you end up on the running backs who get these 30-pointers and this forces you to go to a Byron Pringle or a Marquise Goodwin or one of these cheaper wide receivers who could actually put up a 20-pointer. Well, now you've done something so different from the field that you're sort of blowing past everybody who is so focused on this one way to attack this slate. So you might build several rosters without these running backs and then Put your main rosters in play and they all have one or two or three of these running backs. But just that idea of stepping out of that thought process for a little bit and forcing yourself to look at the slate from different angles is going to be very important this week because there are certainly paths to any or all of these running backs failing relative to raw points, relative to what will get you to first place. And most of our competition is not going to think about those aspects of these Running backs. So that's one thing that I want to encourage you to do this week. And the other thing I want to encourage you to do this week, same as last week, same as a few weeks ago, be willing to wait until Sunday morning to make your final decisions. That doesn't mean wait until Sunday morning to mess around with rosters at all. You know, if your typical process has you messing around with rosters Friday night, Saturday night, still do that. But wait until Sunday morning to make any final decisions. This will allow you to be a nimble builder, to be nimble on your feet, and as new news comes out, you can adjust where your sharpest competition is doing the same thing and the field is, by and large, is not. So if the field, by and large, this week is putting in a little bit less focus, a little bit less dedication than normal because it's Christmas, and their rosters are a little bit less sharp as a result, and then if we have some news late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, that they're also having a harder time adjusting to, well your path to first place is still kind of clumped up at the top because your sharpest competition is still going to be building with their typical sharp approach. But your path to cash, your path to caching becomes clearer and clearer. And the total number of of rosters you're competing against is a smaller number than normal. And so kind of basically saying, hey, what is my sharpest competition doing this week? My sharpest competition is still putting in their typical routine, their typical focus, their typical dedication. Maybe they're moving their hours around a little bit because Christmas day is taking up maybe what would typically be some of their prep time, but they're still putting in their typical total time and their typical focus. And they're waiting until Sunday morning to sort of make any final decisions. Well, I'm going to do the same thing so that I can keep up with them. I can maximize my chances of a first place finish. And remember, it only takes one weekend. Think about this last weekend. We had several 100k wins from the OWS fam. Several 50k wins from the OWS fam. We had a second place finish in the Millie Maker. We had tons and tons of 5k to 10k wins from, uh, including a lot from like people who had put in under 150 bucks, under 100 bucks. And so that's week 15. A lot of times, as we talk about, people sort of lose focus as we get this deep into the season. And those of you who are continuing to put in that work each week, continuing to pile up good weeks while you're continuing to put together opportunities for the math to work out in your favor. If you're playing... 18 weeks out of the regular season, but you're only putting in 10, 11, 12 good weeks. Well, it's going to take that much longer for your big payoff to come. These are small margin games. We cannot afford to be putting in bad weeks of play, unfocused weeks of play. If this is not a week for you to play, if you don't think you can play well this week, don't play. Take the week off. There's nothing wrong with taking a week off. But if you're going to play this week, realize that there's no reason why this week, just because it's week 16, just because we're deep into the season, there's no reason why this week should be any less likely for you to have a huge win than week three or four or five. So dedicate the same amount of attention to detail, focus, and energy that you dedicate in weeks three, four, and five. See what plays out. This could very easily be the week that makes up makes your season and your next three or four or five seasons, right? So again, buckle down, do what you can do this week, and position yourself for a big finish. All right, let's get to the bottom-up build. I'm going to try to keep this to about uh, 45 or 50 total minutes today. One, because I'm sort of in transit, about to be... Traveling from one location to another uh, here in a little bit, also because more importantly, it's Christmas Eve and then tomorrow's Christmas Day. So those of you who are listening to this, um, obviously your schedule is probably a little tighter than normal. So I want to make sure that we hit the highlights. Uh, A lot of things are already covered in the player grid and the DFS interpretations on my end, but there are a few intriguing elements to cover here in the bottom-up build, and then I will get you on your way. For the handful of you who are new, bottom-up build, what we do is we build with a 44k salary cap, and we build as if we are competing against a field of players who all have a 44k salary cap. So that allows us to sort of hunt out some of the value on the slate, while also Talking through, A, the slate as a whole, but B, DFS theory, DFS roster construction. How would we want to put together this roster if everybody had this small salary cap? Similar to last week, one of the things that I want to do this week is figure out a way to get the number one player on the slate onto this roster, We always want to think when we're building rosters in terms of what our competition is going to be doing and what we're competing against for first place. So even with a 44K salary cap, let's say that we were competing in the OWS bottom up build contest where there are 200 entries. Everybody has a 44K salary cap. Well, we would have to assume that out of those 200 entries, at least a handful would say, you know what? Cooper Cup can score 40 points. And there might be nobody else on this slate who scores more than 25. I mean, that's that's a very realistic thing to happen on this particular week's slate. Nobody scores more than 25 except Cooper Cup, and he scores 40. So because of that, if you have Cooper Cup, you're at a huge advantage. So even with a 44k salary cap, I have to assume that I'm competing for first place against rosters that will have Cooper Cup, which means I either need to outscore those rosters, which I could do in one of two ways. One, just hope that Cup disappoints. And if I'm hoping for that, I touched on this in the player grid, but to to elaborate on it a little bit more, because this is an important point this week. If you're betting on Cooper Cup failing... Well, the Rams are not going to fail, right? You're probably you probably don't want to bet on the Rams only putting up 13 or 17 or 20 points against the Vikings. Furthermore, because Cup tends to soak up so much of the production, most of the other players, it's not like the Bucks, right? Where you've got Mike Evans is over 7K and Godwin's over 7K and Gronk's over 6K. And if Antonio Brown had been healthy, he'd be 6,500 or so. And it's like, well, you know, maybe Mike Evans gets 18 points and Godwin gets 20 and Antonio Brown gets 17 and just nobody's viable. Right. But on the Rams, what we have is Cup gets 32, Cup gets 36, Cup gets 40, which kind of leaves all these other guys getting 10 points, 12 points, 8 points, 15 points. So on the weeks when Cup ends up scoring, quote, disappointing and scoring, quote, only 20 points, what we tend to see is that Van Jefferson or Odell Beckham or one of these other guys ends up putting up around 20 points themselves. But because Cup typically takes such a large portion of the Rams scoring pie, these other guys are all priced down in the 5K range, including the Rams running backs. So the way to not play Cup this week is to play one of the other Rams' offensive pieces. In other words, I would have a play at least one Ram on every roster rule this week. If you're not playing Cooper Cup, you don't want to bet that Cooper Cup scores 22 to 25 points and and disappoints everybody who rosters him. And and that nobody else on the Rams scores more than 15 to 18 points. Now, keep in mind, we're deep into the season, right? Salary multipliers go out of the window a little bit. Raw points matter a lot. There aren't going to be that many players on this slate who top 20 points. There might be only one or two or three players who top 25 points. So even if Cooper Cup gets, if you pay 9K for Cooper Cup and he gets you Uh, Let me step back. We always talk about assessing the state of the slate first. Well, the state of the slate here is, one, there's plenty of value, so it's pretty easy to fit in Cooper Cup. Two, there aren't a lot of players who you feel have a good shot at going for 25+. plus. So if Cooper Cup puts up 25 points... You're really not that disappointed that you spent 9,100 on him because you still got one of the only players that got 25 points. And you, there, or maybe you didn't, but somebody who's putting Cup on a roster was able to put him on there while scooping up some 4K and 5K players who put up 18 points, 20 points, whatever it might be. So they're not actually sacrificing anything compared to the rosters that say, okay, I'm going to avoid Cup, I'm going to go more middle of the road, and I'm going to take a bunch of. 5K, 6K, low 7K players, well, those guys probably all score 15 to 22 points as well. So if you get this 25 points from Cup and you get the right value plays that all put up, you know, 16 points, 18 points, 22 points, you're not sacrificing anything. And in fact, you're probably doing better than those middle of the road rosters. So again, if you're going to not play Cup, you want to think about the state of the slate as a whole and you want to think about what your path to first place is now that you didn't play Cooper Cup. More than likely, the Rams are still putting up points, and these other pieces on the Rams are now underpriced because Cup only took 20 points out of that Rams scoring pie, which means somebody else is getting 18 points, 20 points, 22 points, maybe even 25 points at a cheaper price tag than they should be carrying on a week like this where not a ton of players are going to go 4X. Not a ton of players are going to put up 20 to 25 points. So again, If you're not playing Cooper Cup, I would highly recommend playing one of the other Rams pieces. That goes for a bottom-up build. That goes for every roster you put in play. If I were putting in 30 rosters this week, well, I might have Cooper Cup on all 30. But if I were putting in 30 rosters this week, and and the reason I might have Cooper Cup on all 30 is, again, because even if he disappoints, he's typically getting 20-plus points, I'm not having to sacrifice upside in other spots in order to fit Cup because there's enough value this week that I can still take 20 point, 25 point upside across the rest of my roster and still play Cooper Cup. And if he hits, he can go for 40 and he could be the only player who does that. So I'm not going to be bummed if Cup scores 20, 22, 25, whatever it might be. But if I were playing 30 rosters and I weren't playing Cup on all of them, I would have a Rams player on all 30 of those rosters. If I were playing 150 rosters this week, okay, 150 rosters, maybe I dedicate 10 rosters without a Rams player, but on like 140 of them, I would have a Rams player on there basically saying the Rams are likely to succeed this week. The Rams are one of the few teams that's likely to score, that's almost guaranteed to score three touchdowns, and that has a good shot at four or five touchdowns this week. So Cooper Cup is the starting point on this bottom-up build. 9,100, a unique piece to have on a roster with a 44K salary cap. Some of the stacks that I'm interested in this week. Now, these are covered in depth in the DFS interpretations and in the player grid. But some of the likely to go overlooked stacks, Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, Tyler Huntley and Mark Andrews, Tyler Huntley and Marquise Brown. But if I am putting Cooper Cup on here that limits my salary maneuverability at these other spots. With a 44K salary cap, I'm not going going to be able to put Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase or Cooper Cup and Mark Andrews or Cooper Cup and Tyler Lockett. So the next step on this roster is to put Matthew Stafford on here to basically say, look, I am going to, this is one of my favorite stacks, Stafford, Herbert, Huntley, burrow and russ those are the quarterbacks i'm focused on this week uh tom brady is sort of on the fringes for me as well so if i am going with cooper cup and i'm not going to be able to fit one of my other quote favorite stacking partners with these other quarterbacks i like that makes my decision for me matthew stafford goes On this roster, basically saying, look, if Cooper Cup has a tournament winning score, if he has a 40 point score, I'm probably getting at least 24 points from Stafford. Again, we're talking this deep into the season. Salary multipliers go out of the window A little bit if Stafford gets me 24 points this week well you can look through all the quarterbacks on the slate and there aren't that many that have a good shot at putting up 24 or more points so if I can take Cooper Cup and he gets me a tournament winning score and that pulls Stafford up with me and Stafford has upside for 27 28 29 even 30 points I feel great about this setup right here so Stafford plus Cooper Cup is my starting point on this roster The next thing I did on this roster was decide to lock in Antonio Brown, 4,900. And again, we're working with a 44K salary cap. So I'm recognizing at this point that I have to find basically the sharpest values in a lot of these spots the rest of the way because I've spent 15.8K already on two spots on my quarterback and my wide receiver one. But the great thing about this week. As we've already talked about, and as we're going to see throughout the rest of this bottom up build, is value is abundant. Antonio Brown, now the matchup's tough, right? But DraftKings no longer adjusts for matchup. So Antonio Brown with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans healthy should probably be priced at 6,300 to 6,500, maybe even 6,700. In the 5 games that these 3 played together, Antonio Brown averaged 8.4 targets per game. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans each averaged 8. Point, or 7.9 targets per game. So Antonio Brown was now, now we're not talking about red zone targets and a dot and all that, but just in terms of target share, Antonio Brown was the 1A to the Godwin Evans 1B. Those guys have been priced in the mid to high 6Ks to low 7Ks all season, and that's where Antonio Brown should probably be if both of those guys were healthy. Both of those guys are going to be out, and this is not the type of team, not the type of offense, not the type of coaching staff, not the type of quarterback to where we say, yeah, but the Kyle Pitts situation, right? All the defensive attention goes to Antonio Brown, and maybe he just completely fails. No, Antonio Brown's going to see it... Almost certainly going to see at least nine targets. He has upside for as many as 12, 13, 14, 15 targets in this spot. He's only 4,900. So this is a don't overthink it spot for me, especially on a bottom-up build. He is one of the most underpriced plays we've seen all season. Again, we just walked through it, right? He's pretty clearly at least 1,700, 1,800 underpriced. And then we talk about the fact that his competition for targets has basically evaporated, and we could clearly make a case for him at 7,200. Now, that's without talking about the matchup. The matchup's not great, but the matchup being not great on a guy who's 2K to 2,500 underpriced, well, we'll still take that every single time. So Antonio Brown, 4,900 is the next guy who goes on here, which gives us the starting point of Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Antonio Brown. Next thing we're going to do is look at the running back position, Now, we are not going to be able to fit in three of the running backs without making sacrifices in other spots that I don't necessarily want to make. So I am going to say, who are the two running backs that I feel best about here? Justin Jackson's 4,200. We're talking a bottom-up build, and that makes things pretty easy on this first spot. So Justin Jackson, 4,200 slot him in. He has the second softest running back matchup that a running back can have against the Houston Texans. Uh, He is going to be the 1A back. I actually think Joshua Kelly is going to get more work than the field is assuming here. But last week, we saw Kelly play only 13 snaps. Jackson play 42 snaps. So at least 14 or 15 carries, two or three targets is highly likely for Jackson here. And it wouldn't be a shock. It wouldn't be a shock if he has 20 carries, and five targets. Now, that would be well above Austin Eckler's typical range, but we should also keep in mind that the Texans face one of the highest opponent rush play rates in the NFL. Most teams choose to not even bother attacking the Texans through the air. So the Chargers are seventh in the NFL in pass play rate. They're going to pass the ball a little bit more here than most teams would, but they are going to also run the ball A little bit more often than they they typically would, which gives uh, Justin Jackson a really nice range for his touch projection. And then again, Austin Eckler is leaving behind 17 touchdowns. The Texans have given up the second most running back rushing touchdowns in the NFL this year. A lot to like about Justin Jackson. As we explored at the top, there are ways that he could disappoint, but In order to get to first place on just about any week, you're going to play some chalk because chalk is generally going to be pretty sharp. As we often talk about, it's rarely going to be... Chalk is rarely going to be as high certainty as the field assumes that it is, which is why we also typically look for places to pull a couple levers that do something different than the field is doing, especially if those levers can directly attack the chalk plays. In other words, hey, this player is chalk. Well, if he fails, then this guy on his team is hitting. Or if he fails, I can take advantage of it in this particular way. So we like to attack chalk, but we also recognize: look, we don't we don't want to get into the game of trying to outpredict the field unless it's the very rare week when outpredicting the field is the best way to build. When the chalk is so sharp that we just need to build a better roster than the field around that chalk. It's rare that that's the case. So what we typically want to do is just say, look. Some of this chalk's going to hit, some of this chalk's going to miss. We are going to build in such a way that we're on some chalk and we're attacking some other chalk. So on this particular roster, Justin Jackson, we've already made the case of how he could disappoint. And if you wanted to attack the Justin Jackson rosters in some way, you could do that. But what we're going to do on this roster is slot him in at 4,200. And then we're also going to slot in James Robinson. So James Robinson's kind of an interesting study here because he hasn't topped 18 carries all season. He typically sees three or four and occasionally five targets. He typically gets about 10 to 15 receiving yards, and he has one game all season where he's gone above 30 receiving yards. So James Robinson isn't... I'll put it like this. James Robinson isn't DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is typically seeing seven, eight, nine targets to go with 13, 14, 15 carries. Uh, DeAndre Swift has more explosiveness to his game. But what James Robinson does have is a very locked-in workload at this point. With Carlos Hyde out, with Schottenheimer and Bevel running the offense, we can feel pretty secure that Robinson is going to see 16 to 18 carries. And it wouldn't be that surprising if he gets his first game on the season above 18 carries. He also has the best running back matchup you can have in the NFL against the Jets, who, as Hilo has pointed out several times this week, have given up six more running back fantasy points per game than the second worst defense, which is incredible. It's basically a 20% increase over the second worst defense. So James Robinson sets up extremely well this week. He is a player who... I won't mind not playing because I can see the ways that he can disappoint. And last week, I laid out the ways that he could disappoint. Last week, I noted that everybody was going to overrate the certainty of the James Robinson play. And yet, I still locked him onto my main roster pretty quickly and pretty easily because there was so little else to like on the slate that, as I said last week, he could disappoint and put up... 13, 14, 15, 16 points, and still be one of the best running back plays on the slate. So I didn't want to overthink that spot last week. This week, it looks like his ownership is still going to be high, not quite the 50 to 70% that we saw last week, but probably 30 to 40%. And there are still ways that he could disappoint. Those ways are a little bit lower this week, because it's the Jets instead of the Texans. Texans are the second worst running back defense. Jets are the worst running back defense. And again, by like a 20% higher margin than the Texans. But unlike last week, if James Robinson gets a 15, 16, 17 point game, I do feel that I could find some paths, some clearer paths to first place than having him on my roster. So last week, he gets you 16 points and that's still probably the best player you're going to find on your path to first place. This week he gets you 16 points and you can probably find something better than that on your path to first place. So James Robinson is very much in the mix for me this week. He's on the bottom up build. He's cycling through my practice rosters, but he's not just a fully lock and load option for me this week. Uh, There are several other running backs I like, including David Montgomery in the same price range and including DeAndre Swift in the same price range, who we touch on in the player grid. But James Robinson, 5,900, goes on this bottom-up build, which gives us Matthew Stafford at quarterback, paired with Cooper Cup, gives us Antonio Brown, and then James Robinson and Justin Jackson at running back. Okay, so that leaves us with very little in salary remaining. There are a couple cheap defenses that I like. The Broncos are a cheap defense I like. The Bears are a cheap defense I like. But on this particular roster, what I'm going to do is recognize that some of my competition in this 44K salary cap contest, this theoretical 44K salary cap contest, some of my competition is going to be building around Tyler Huntley, because Tyler Huntley had a huge game last week and is relatively affordably priced at quarterback. So if some of my competition is going to be playing Huntley with one of his pass catchers, one of the things that I want to look to do is attack that. I'm expecting that in this 44k salary cap structure, that's going to be a relatively popular way for my opponents to build. So I am going to build this roster with the Bengals defense, saying if the Bengals defense is having a big game, then the Ravens passing attack is probably disappointing. So I get that lever pulled where I'm taking away points from my competition. Bengals, one of the top teams in the NFL in sacks generated. The Ravens take the, I think the Bengals are third in the NFL in sacks this season. The Ravens have taken the most sacks in the NFL. As I pointed out in the player grid, Ravens really don't turn the ball over. Bengals don't force many turnovers, but. Sacks are points. Sacks create opportunities for turnovers, and it's also important to note, and, and Poppy noted this in his write-up for this game as well, we have a pretty small sample size with Huntley. We could still have a game where Huntley comes out and just lays an egg, posts an absolute complete dud, turns the ball over multiple times, makes several mental errors, and so the Bengals' defense becomes really interesting this week, especially on this bottom-up build at 28 100. So that leaves us with three spots left, a wide receiver spot, a tight end spot, and a flex spot where we're going to have to be under 4K on all of these players. So what I did on this roster first was I filled in the... Wide receivers, the wide receiver and flex spot. So, wide receiver, I put in Byron Pringle, assuming that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey will be out. I explored this play pretty in depth in the DFS interpretation section for this game, so I won't go into it here. But Byron Pringle should be on the field more than any other Chiefs wideout and has the highest probability of a six, seven, eight, nine target game among all the Chiefs wideouts. And he has the most downfield role of all of the Chiefs wideouts. So Byron Pringle at 3,300 goes on this roster. In this instance, obviously, we're assuming that this is a Chiefs offense playing without Travis Kelsey, playing without Tyree Kill. And then in the flex spot, I pulled the trigger on Marquise Goodwin. Now, I pulled the trigger on Marquise Goodwin before it was announced that Nick Foles would be starting for the Bears. But it's still kind of an interesting play. Last year, Nick Foles, when he was starting, it was I think like seven games or so, most of those games he was throwing 38 pass attempts, 40 pass attempts, 45 pass attempts, up as many as 50 pass attempts. As was noted in the write-up for this game by Mike, the Bears' top 10 in situation-neutral pass-play rate over their last five games. the Over their last four games, they have averaged 38 pass attempts per game. Also, pretty quietly, Seattle has been among the highest situation-neutral pass-play rate teams over the last month-plus. So this is a game where we're going to have two teams that are actually more likely than the field will realize to be throwing the ball. Nick Foles doesn't attack downfield as much as Justin Fields or as much as Andy Dalton would have. So uh, Marquise Goodwin becomes a little bit less appealing here. But let's keep in mind, people don't really pay attention to this offense, right? So you don't know who's been playing, who's been doing what. But Jakeem Grant has been soaking up the underneath looks. Well, he's going to be out. Allen Robinson is going to be out. The last time Marquise Goodwin was healthy was week 11. And Allen Robinson was out. Marquise Goodwin saw eight targets, picked up over 100 receiving yards. And this week, the three wide sets for the Bears is going to be Darnell Mooney, Marquise Goodwin, and Demir Bird. Demir Bird was actually the guy I wanted to get onto this bottom up build at 3300, but as I was messing around with things, Marquise Goodwin fit a little bit better. So we end up with Marquise Goodwin on this roster at 31. 100. And he's actually very interesting, even with Nick Foles under center. Now, last year, Nick Foles' preferred targets were Allen Robinson on sort of those sideline routes and Anthony Miller in the slot. Now, Darnell Mooney has been playing about half of his snaps in the slot. So it's kind of an interesting setup where Darnell Mooney can take on both the Allen Robinson type routes and last year's Anthony Miller type routes. And where last year Nick Foles was kind of giving five, six targets a game to Mooney, we could end up seeing Mooney get his 11, 12 targets in this spot. But Demir Bird should get some short area bubble screens and and, slants and other short area looks. And Marquise Goodwin should see some manufactured touches and a handful of downfield shots. So this is actually a really interesting passing attack that most people are going to be overlooking this week. Another player that you could have put on here from the Bears is Cole Komet. Uh, Nick Foles, again, somebody who's looking to throw the ball short area most of the time who averages under seven yards per pass attempt last year who's focused on jimmy graham cole Komet, anthony miller a lot kind of these short area over the middle of the field types of looks so cole Komet should step in for anywhere from six to seven to eight targets this week from nick Foles in a soft matchup against the seahawks tight end defense so a lot of different ways that you could save salary with the bears offense this week as i've also explored this week i like the seahawks passing attack i like the potential for this game to shoot out. It's likeliest to not shoot out. But if it does shoot out, it could shoot out at a much higher level than some of the other games on this slate and could vault you all the way up to first place. So with that in mind, this Bears passing attack is an interesting place to look for value. And then what I wanted to do at tight end is I wanted to find a way to get up to Tyler Conklin because that allows me, instead of just having Stafford plus Cup, it allows me to have a bring back from the Vikings. Now, there are a lot of different ways to build bringbacks from the Vikings this week. Obviously, Justin Jefferson, but Stafford plus Cup plus Justin Jefferson is going to be one of the most popular builds on the slate this week. So some other ways to do that is to put on Thielen instead of Justin Jefferson and hope that Thielen gets all the touchdowns while Jalen Ramsey focuses on Justin Jefferson. Another way to do that is Alexander Madison, hoping that he busts off some big plays and ends up scoring the touchdowns for the Vikings. And another way to do that is Tyler Conklin at 39. Which on a bottom up build with a 44k salary cap and so much salary dedicated to Stafford and Cup, Conklin becomes a pretty easy call here to say, look, I don't want just the the quarterback and pass catcher from the Rams. I want to complete this bet by saying, if these guys are hitting, we know that the Vikings are always keep their games close, almost always keep their games close. So I want to complete that bet by saying, okay, what player from the Vikings can I take on this roster? Again, getting out of the game of trying to predict what will happen and instead just saying, what would get us to first place most often? What would get us to first place most often on a Stafford Cup roster is also bringing back a player from the Viking side of the game. And given that this is a 44K salary cap contest, the player who makes the most sense to bring back on this roster is Tyler Conklin. So that gives us a bottom-up build of Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup and Tyler Conklin from that game, James Robinson and Justin Jackson at running back, Antonio Brown, Byron Pringle, and Marquise Goodwin filling out wide receiver, and the Bengals defense. Uh, 43.9K in salary spent, 6.1K in salary left over. With that, I am going to get out of here. I would imagine that we have fewer listeners this week than normal because, again, it's Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. But to those of you who hung out this week, thank you, as always, for hanging out. Always a pleasure. Always a treat. I will see you on the site throughout the weekend. I will see you Sunday morning, not only in your inbox, but also in the Sunday morning update that I will be putting on the player grid again shortly before inactives come out. I will see you next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Discord when we announce the mission's winners. If you are in Inner Circle, hopefully I'll see you picking up one of those OWS for the Life memberships. And I will see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend. Thanks for hanging out and have a Merry Christmas.